It's amazing the clutter you can get rid of when you put Jesus in the right place in your life, isn't it? And make your life about him rather than about all that stuff. And that's what our whole series on hoarding has been. It's about putting Christ first in our lives. And we're going to talk about that specifically this weekend. As we get ready to do that, though, I wanted to just uh, say to our friends at 111th, uh, they last weekend celebrated their one-year anniversary. Isn't that cool? And so uh, congratulations to them and uh, Pastor Rich and, their, and the leadership there. And we look forward to another great year of seeing people's hearts and lives change there as well as here at our Hobson campus as well. Well, it's the last message in our series on hoarding. And uh, I want to talk about how you break the hoard habit. Because when it all comes down to it, what you think about when you see the cross has a lot to do with what it means to break free from a selfish kind of spirit and heart. Just the other day, I had an opportunity to hear Pastor John Ortberg uh, do a talk, and uh, he used the game of Monopoly. How many of you are Monopoly players? You enjoy Monopoly, all right? How many of you can't stand Monopoly? Some people can't stand it, all right? Well, tough, all right? This weekend, it's going to be hard on you, all right? But uh, he's talking about Monopoly, and he used it as an illustration of how we sometimes struggle with the whole issue of materialism. As I heard him talking about that, it brought back to my mind uh, memories of long winters in Michigan after we came back from the mission field where some you know, long winter weekend nights we would pull the Monopoly game out and we would set it up and the four of us, my father, my mother, my brother and I, we would play Monopoly and we would, pr- and we would play it very competitively to see who would be the Lord of the board. And uh, I always had a strategy. And my strategy in a game was to accumulate Boardwalk and Park Place and Pennsylvania Avenue and North Carolina Avenue and Pacific Avenue and then have all four of the railroads. That was like my strategy. I would beg and borrow and promise and threaten my little brother, uh, whatever it took to gain those properties because they're so valuable. And if you have those properties, I mean, like you can conquer the world. You can be Lord of the board. And, and pity the person, pity the person who, who comes around the board and you've got hotels on those prime pieces of property. And they, they take their shake and they hit Pacific Avenue and I would get so excited. I would just say, oh, 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 oh you owe me a, a $1,275 because I got hotels there. Pay up. And then, you know, they start paying out the cash. And you watch the little pile dwindle, all right? And then, then you wait for the next turn. This is what's exciting, all right? Because you can take somebody out with two, two bad rolls. So they pick up the dice, right? And uh, they, get, they get ready to roll. And if they roll a nine, then they're free. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They get two hundred dollars. All right. It's like ah, I'll get you next time. All right. But if they roll an eight, or they roll a six, all right, they are. It's like they're totally messed up because they just had to pay you, you know, fifteen hundred dollars or whatever. Let's say you end up on boardwalk with hotels that's two thousand dollars, and that's when you stand up and you say, "Fork it over. Give me the cash. Give me your property. Put your little piece in the in the box. You're out of here." And uh, I love that, all right? I love that, all right? 
And then, you know, take my mom out, take my dad out, be the last one there with the board and the cash and the property. I am Lord of the board. I'm so excited. Let's play Monopoly. All right? I got room for some people up here. I'll ask you a question this weekend. Who is the Lord of the board in your life? Or put it another way, who is in charge of your life? Who's the Lord of your life. You see, that's, that's the real way we overcome hoarding. That's the real way we overcome materialism. It's, it's not putting things first in our life, but putting Christ first in our hearts and in our lives. C.S. Lewis wrote this statement, which is, you know, it's easy to remember. It's a powerful statement. He says that, that God cannot bless you or me unless he has all of us. God cannot bless us unless he has all of us. Does God have all of you this weekend? Does he have ownership over all of you and everything that's attached to your life? Is he the Lord of your life? And the question is, what does that mean? Because we talk about it sometimes. We talk about, yes, Jesus is the Lord of my life. But what are we really saying when we say Jesus is the Lord of my life? Well, I just want to give you a couple of thoughts as we close our series out this weekend. You might want to jot these down. You're welcome to do that in your notes section of the Navigator. And uh, this uh, weekend when uh, you hear the message, you're going to find that in your sermon-based life groups, I've actually given you uh, a different passage to wrestle with and some, some unique questions that I think are going to help you finish out your sermon-based life group really strong on, on this series. And by the way, if you haven't gotten into a sermon-based life group yet, the next series that we're going to do, God is Now, Here, Nowhere, it would be awesome if you signed up for that. And uh, we're in a sermon-based life group because that's going to be so very practical. And you can do that at 111. Pastor Rich will tell you how to do it. Or you can just go out the doors here to our information center and get signed up. Here's the first principle. Lordship is accepting the authority of God in my life. Let's say it together. Lordship is... Is accepting the authority of God in my life. There are some interesting illustrations in the New Testament of how people came to accept uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to show you a couple of them. If you want to turn open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, we're going to be kind of skipping around the New Testament a little bit uh, this evening. But in Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse 2, we meet a man who was a leper. If he had leprosy in the, in the ancient days, it was like... The, the, a person who has AIDS today, all right? I mean, people, you know, uh, avoided you. You were considered unclean. It was, it was the worst disease you could have. And this guy approaches Jesus after he comes down a mountainside. And at verse 2, it says, Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Now, if you skip ahead to Mark chapter 5, you run into two more stories of Jesus interacting with people's lives. And in Mark chapter 5, there's a leader of the local synagogue named Jairus who has a daughter who's very sick and dying. And he comes to Jesus in verse 23, and he pleads fervently with Jesus. He says, my little daughter is dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. 
And then if you come down a few more verses, you run into this woman who had uh, a lot of issues going on in her life. Specifically, she was bleeding all the time and couldn't stop. And she comes to Jesus and she says in verse 28, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Now, excuse me, what do all three have in common? All three recognized a need in their life, a huge need in their life. And they recognized Jesus' authority and ability to meet that need. And they came to him and submitted themselves to his authority. To accept the lordship of Jesus in my life is to recognize that God has everything I need. That the world doesn't, but God does. That he has the authority to guide my life, save my life, uh, heal my life, help my life, prepare a future for my life. And I come to him and I abandon myself at his feet and I say, Lord, you're the only authority I need. I'm going to trust your power to be at work in my life. And that, is, that, that goes against the, uh, the current of our culture. Where so many people want to be authorities in our lives and where so many programs and religions want to be authorities in our lives. We only need Jesus. We only need Jesus. Is Jesus the sole authority in your life? C.S. Lewis wrote something else as well. And listen to what he said. He said, in God you come against something which in every respect is immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you recognize God as that and know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not really know God at all. Boy, he's right, isn't he? I mean, you know, you just got to understand that God is superior and he has everything that you need. Second principle you might want to jot down, and that is that lordship is putting Jesus first in my life. It's recognizing his authority but then it's putting him in first place in my heart and in my life. I want you to take your Bibles for a moment and uh, turn over, if you will, to Matthew chapter uh, 22. Matthew chapter 22. In a statement that uh, Jesus makes here. Matthew chapter 22. And uh, let's look at verse 37. And Jesus is speaking here. He's being questioned about the law. And uh, here's what he says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all these demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? There are 613 commandments. And what he's saying is simply this. That when you boil them all down, they come to one principle. And that is love God with your guts. Love God with everything in you. Remember what, what Moses told the people, what God had spoken to him? You shall have no other gods before you, right? Only Yahweh shall be in your life. Jesus wants to have preeminence in our life. He doesn't want us just to come to him when we have a need. And say, oh, God, I believe in you. You have all kinds of authority. Please heal me. Please help me. Please make my, you know, help me pay my mortgage this month. God, do something for me. And then, and then when God breaks through for us, we just kind of forget about him. No, God says, recognize my authority and then enthrone me in your life. Every one of us has a little throne room in our heart, right? And the question is, who's sitting on the throne? I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself sitting on that throne. How about you? 
Sometimes I try to work it out so that, so that the Lord sits on half the throne and I sit on the other half of the throne. But you know what? He won't accept that. Either he sits the whole time on the throne or he's not there at all. He wants every aspect of our lives. There was a missionary by the name of C.T. Studd uh, in England many, many, many years ago. That uh, He was an aristocrat, a well-to-do man. And he felt the call of God on his life to become a missionary. And at uh, first he resisted that call, and then he began to give in to that call. And finally he said, there was just one area left in my life that I was unwilling to surrender. And he said it was like a gold, like gold uh, keychain with all kinds of keys. I had given all the keys to God except this one key. And he said, finally, I just prayed to the Lord and I said, Lord, I am unwilling to give you this key, but please make me willing. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. And he said, God went straight for that closet in my life and took the key and gave me himself. I love that. That's a fair exchange, don't you think? God took the key. God took whatever it was I was hanging on to, and then he gave me himself. Is there something in your life that you are unwilling to give to God? Like your finances. Are you hanging on to that wallet? Are you hanging on to your finances? You say, I'm not, you know, I got, this is mine. I, I got to have, more, you know, something that's mine. You're unwilling to, to give. You're unwilling to tithe, unwilling to share because it's yours. Well, you know, that's keeping Jesus from being the Lord of your life. You're not going to know his fullness and his blessing to hang on to that. Is it a person? You know, sometimes there are people that become really important to us and we don't want to give them up. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's an unbeliever that, you know, it's a young woman. Think about marrying a guy who doesn't know Jesus or vice versa. You know, and, and, and we don't want to deal with that because we know what God's word says, that we shouldn't be unequally yoked. So we, we hang on that relationship and we kind of keep God out of it. You can't know the blessings of God to give that up. Maybe it's a habit. It's a habit that you have and, and you know that that needs to be surrendered to God, but you don't want to give it up. Maybe it's, maybe it's an attitude. Maybe there's somebody you're angry toward. And it's just hard for you to give up that anger because in a weird, sadistic way, it feels good to be angry at them. And, you know, you got to give it up. you got to make the Lord the Lord of your whole life. Maybe it's your career. I, I don't know what it is, but is there any room in your life, is there any area in your life that you just are unwilling to say, God, it's yours, you're in charge, you're in control, I'm handing you all the keys now, and I'm free. And it's yours, and, and I'm, I'm only here for you. I think in a material world, in a material culture like we live in, I think that's a battle for us, don't you? I mean, I think we're always playing tug of war with God on those keys. You know, and, and when we don't have anything, then we want, you know, then we're willing to give him everything. But when we've got a lot, right, when we've got a lot, then we struggle with it. Isn't that kind of weird? Like I shared last week, it's like during the Depression. People gave more than the time between the, when the depression was over until, until these days when we have been so prosperous, we've kept more. It's just weird how we think, isn't it? When I've got something that I want to be in control of it, God says, let me be in control of it. Third principle. Lordship is accepting responsibility and accountability. Lordship is accepting responsibility and accountability for what God has given to me, what God has given to us. Turn over to Matthew uh, chapter 25. And you all know or have probably heard of that parable. If you haven't, let me tell you quickly 
where Jesus says uh, there was a rich man who left his uh, place and he handed to his servants his, his money and he says, I want you to invest this so when I come back, I have a return on my investment. He gave to one man five talents and that man doubled it. Gave to another man two talents and that man doubled it. And, and the Lord came back and he was pleased and he blessed them and gave them even more responsibility. But the third man, he took the one talent that was given to him and he buried it. And when the master came back and the master saw that he had buried it, not even put it in the bank, the master was very upset with him, was angry toward him. And, and he experienced judgment as a result. Now, if you have that passage, I just want to give you some quick principles in this passage that help us understand what it means when Jesus says that he wants us to be accountable and responsible for what he's given to us. For instance, take some time and read this later on, but in verse 14 of chapter 25, the principle that we learn there is that God has entrusted all of us with blessings. All of us. Now, to some he gives much. To others, he gives little. And you ought not be looking at what somebody else has. Because when you get to heaven, God's not going to do any comparisons. Isn't that cool? He's not going to compare you to Billy Graham. He's not going to compare you to some rich dude or dudette. He's not going to do that. He's just going to look at you and say, this is what I gave you. What did you do with it? If you look at verse 15, the principle that uh, we discover there is that it's not always equal. I just said that, all right? It's not always the same. He gives it to us differently. In verses 19 through, uh, excuse me, 16 through 19, he teaches us that people react differently with what they have been given. Some people take, in other words, what they're given and they, they use it to honor the, the Lord, like these servants honor their master. Other people take what is given to them and they hang on to it. They either bury it or they misuse it. As a result, verse uh, 19 teaches us that someday we are all going to be held accountable with what we've done with what God's given to us. Every one of us, like it or not, even believers, we're going to report and we're going to be responsible for what we've, what we've done with what he's given us. Now, it's not going to determine your salvation because you're not saved by your works, right? But it is going to determine how you spend eternity in terms of rewards. Because the last part of that story is all about the fact that God wants to reward us. God wants to bless us for being faithful to what he's given to us. Isn't that cool? God is so looking forward to roll call in heaven someday when he's going to be able to pass out blessings. And you know what? I don't know about you. I'm just going to be thankful to be in heaven. But God also wants to bless us. That's why Jesus says, don't lay up treasures for yourself here on this earth where moth and rust and thief destroy. He says, but lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where nothing destroys it. Nothing can destroy it. Put it up there and reap that benefit. And so every time I tithe, every time I give an offering, every time I bless some other group or some other ministry with what God's given to me, and I do it with a humble spirit and a loving heart toward God, it's like I'm making this investment in heaven. And unlike our investments here on earth, which are not doing well these days, right? You think of the money you put in, the money you've got left, there's this huge gap, right? Not so in heaven. Not so in heaven. It's there. It's waiting. And that's why, that's why we need to be accountable what we've been given now. And that's why we gave that opportunity last weekend, you know, to get to get accountable and be responsible. Fill that card in and, and hand it in and, and help, let us help you and encourage you to invest wisely. For to whom much is given, much is required. 
If you didn't get a chance to do that last weekend, you can do it this weekend and hand it in when you leave or hand it to me. It doesn't matter. But get on board and honor God with how he's blessed you, all right? Another principle, lordship is doing the will of God. Let's say that together. Lordship is doing the will of God. Now, look what it says over in Matthew chapter 7. If you want to turn back there. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. This is very interesting. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Wow. Now, of course, Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees here, wasn't he? The Sadducees who knew the Bible backward and forward. That is the law. And yet they didn't do what the law said. They were hypocrites. They loved to lord it over others, but they didn't practice that truth themselves. And he's speaking to them. And he's saying, you're going to get to heaven someday and say, I memorized the Torah. I went to synagogue all the time. I did this. I did that. Look how good I was. And he's going to say, get away from me. I don't know you. You really honestly didn't keep the law. You know, there are a lot of people today in America who call themselves Christians. It's like 80% say they're Christians. Now, you and I know that cannot possibly be true. If 80% of Americans were truly, truly born again, we wouldn't have any of the problems we have right now. So that means there's a whole lot of people out there that are claiming to be born again, who are claiming to be Christians, and when they show up someday and they say, Lord, Lord, here I am, he's going to say, I don't know you. And they're going to be judged as a result of it. See, lordship is is not just saying something. It's just not knowing about God. It's actually doing something. It's it's knowing what God wants and then acting on it in my life. Being obedient to him in my life. The Bible says don't lie, then don't lie. If it says don't have sex outside of marriage, don't have sex outside of marriage. Shouldn't view pornography, don't view pornography. If you should help the poor, help the poor. If you share your gifts and talents and abilities, share your gifts and talents and abilities. It's being obedient. When I, when I preached the first message in this series, uh, when we began a few weekends ago, uh, on, on Saturday night, I received a, an email that I wanted to share with you from a father who was here that, that uh, evening uh, and uh, was with his, his children. And uh, he gave me permission to share this with you, but I just wanna, I wanted to pass this on because it's a, it's a great illustration of hearing and doing, okay? Uh, Pastor Dale, I had to drop you a note about your sermon uh, this evening. I listened to the message with my soon-to-be 14-year-old daughter and her two siblings as you spoke about the choice Lot makes in Genesis. You talked about how Lot makes the choice of where to go rather than leaving the choice to God or asking Abram to ask God for guidance for him. You closed by asking everyone to put their faith in God and make a commitment to letting God make the choices in our lives. That's lordship, right? On the drive home, my daughter, who turns 14, asked me if it would be okay if rather than asking for gifts from her friends at her upcoming birthday party, she could ask them for $10 cash. When she said it, my thought was, oh boy, my daughter sure missed that message. But she quickly clarified her request. She said, as she listened to your message, she thought about the gifts she'd be receiving from family next weekend, and she realized that was more than enough. She'd rather do something for someone else less fortunate with the gifts from her friends. 
She said with money from her friends, she can buy toothbrushes, toothpaste, combs, etc., as well as fabric to make blankets that she can donate to a charitable organization like PADS to help the homeless. I asked her when she got this idea. She said she just felt it was the right thing to do as she listened to the message. Isn't that cool? That's so awesome. You know, when, when, <clears throat> you know, when kids, when kids get that, that's good news. When kids, when, when young people understand that, begin to practice that, it's good news. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but amongst the younger generation these days, there is a desire to get involved. There's a desire to get active. There's a desire to get their hands dirty. They long, they want to make something happen. They want to be part of a movement. And that's why oftentimes they're so drawn to cults. That's why Islam is such a draw to to many people today. Why? Because they go beyond just sitting in their, their mosque and talking. Now, I don't agree with what they do, but they are a movement. They're about... They're about conquering. And people want to be part of something. Even if it's terrible. They want to be part of something. And, you know, I look at the church today. And what do we, have, what do we most often do? We come like you and I are here right now. And, and, and what do we do? We show up and we sit on our hands. When you're sitting on your hands, there's not a lot you can do. Have you noticed that? Like your elbows can't do a whole lot. But that's what we do. And then, then we leave and we go and we kind of do our thing. And we come back the following weekend. Those who bother to show up and we sit on our hands again. That, you know, that, that's, not, that's not the picture Jesus had of his church, is it? I mean, the picture Jesus had of his church is this army. This army of love and grace that marches into hell itself. And hell can't resist. And the gates are broken open. And people who are lost. And discouraged and distraught, they are rescued out and they're brought home to a loving father. That's the picture of the church. That's what the church ought to be. We ought not to be timid. and We ought not to be ashamed of our faith and our love for God and sharing that with others. Amen? You know, I look here at uh, uh, our services on the weekend and I see, you know, extra chairs. I'm sure on the 11th there's extra chairs as well. And those, those belong to people who aren't here yet. But you know what? They're not going to show up if we don't what? If we don't invite them. You know, I saw a statistic recently that says that over 80% of people would come to church if somebody asked them to come. Do you know that? But I think we convince ourselves people don't want to come. So when we do ask them if they want to come, we do it in such a way that they wouldn't want to come. Oh, uh, yeah, comes to church. Saturday service. Well, we're in a gym. You probably don't want to come, but I thought I'd tell you about it. Wow, I really want to go, don't you? Sounds like a great, exciting church. All right? We ought, to be, we ought to want to talk about what God has done and what God is doing. And people want to be part of that. People want to experience God. Last principle. Lordship is personal obedience regardless of the cost. Lordship is personal obedience regardless of the cost. The cost. Over in Luke chapter 9, there is a familiar passage of Scripture to many believers, but we often ignore it. It's at the end of Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It says, As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, Come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. 
But Jesus told them, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told them, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Not fit for the kingdom of God. Sometimes it costs to put Jesus first. Sometimes it costs to follow Jesus. I want to tell you a story as we close the message this weekend. And I want to introduce you to a couple, a pastor and his wife. Uh, his name is Urios, U-R-I-O-S, and his wife's name is, uh, let's see if I say it right, Rakashim, all right? So this is Urios and Rakashim. My wife, Marcia, was in India this past June for three weeks on a mission ministry there. And she met this pastor and his wife and heard his story and has shared it with me and it so moved me I wanted to share it with you because it kind of talks about this whole issue of cost. Urias, when he was a, a, a little boy, uh, his, his parents were very poor. He's part of the Dalit uh, tribe and in that caste system, they're way down the chain and there's no hope for them because Hinduism says your only hope is maybe you'll be good enough in this life to be reborn at a higher caste the next life around. But anyway, uh, he, he grew up in this very poor family, and a severe drought hit their particular area, and his mother and father had to take him and his older sister and go find work. They had to move away, and they found work building a road in the jungle. And there they lived in a tent amongst the wild animals, the snakes, the tigers, and all that. The mother and father went out and helped try to build the road And the older sister, he was one years old. His older sister, who's like seven years old, was left to take care of him. Well, they started playing in the puddles. And he drank the water that was in the puddles, the filthy water that was in the puddles. And he became very, very sick. He began to have severe diarrhea, vomiting, and pretty soon he became dehydrated. They couldn't keep anything down. And soon he became so weak he could not even lift his head. As poor as his parents were, they took him to a doctor in the nearest city. And the doctors took a look at him. And the doctor said to his parents, we cannot save your boy. He's going to die. He is so sick. He is going to die. Well, a worker happened to be in the hospital who was a Christian and overheard all this. And he went and told his pastor. And he begged the pastor to come and minister to this family and this little boy. So the pastor came and he met the family, he met the little boy. And he looked at the parents who were Hindus. And he said to them, if you promise to dedicate your son to be a pastor for the Lord Jesus Christ, God is going to heal him. And the parents said, okay. And the pastor prayed. And that boy was healed completely. They then took him back home, but continued in their ways of Hinduism and never said a thing to him about the promise they made. When he was about 14 years of age, his mother uh, had a cancerous tumor. It looked like she was going to die. A friend of his invited him to church. And he sat and he listened to the message, and it just spoke to his heart. And he felt drawn toward God and becoming a Christian. He went back home and told his parents that he wanted to become a Christian and wanted to be baptized. And they said to him, if you do that, you'll be cast out of our family. We are Hindus. And to do something like that, 
you, you literally would lose your name. You would lose your position in our family. So don't do it. He went back to the service again. And he was sitting in the back and he heard a gospel message. He heard the invitation to come forward for baptism. And he wanted to go forward so badly. But then he thought about what his parents said. He thought about the price that he would have to pay being ostracized from his family. And he didn't go. When he came home, his father grabbed him and said, Your mother is going to die. Come quickly. And as he went into the room, she drew her last breath, and he said, my father took the sheet and placed it over her head. And he said, I wept, and I prayed, and I told the Lord that I was sorry for not responding to his call on my life. And I promised the Lord that I was going to turn my life over to him, that I would, that I would go forward, that I would serve him, I would give myself to him. And he said, Uriah said that after he prayed that prayer, 10 minutes later, his mother raised her hand and pulled the sheet off her face and lived 20 more years. Mother and father became Christians because their son became a pastor. And it wasn't until after he became a pastor and they became Christians that they told him about the promise they had made. Today, he serves a church in one of the most dangerous areas of India where Christians are killed and preaches boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a man who understands lordship. There's a man who is willing, even after one failure, was willing to say it doesn't matter what it costs God, I'm going to serve you. Even if my family ostracizes me, I'm going to serve you. And there's a man who pays the cost every day while you and I live in great freedom and and great comfort of possibly losing his life for preaching the word of God. Making Jesus the Lord of your life ultimately, ultimately means God. Even if you want my life, even if you means you taking my life, I'd rather have you as Lord than to save my own life. Is Jesus Lord of your life this weekend? Let's pray. Father God, I just ask that you would speak to all of our hearts, my heart included, this weekend. And show us as only you can do where we stand in relationship to you in regards to lordship. Father, I ask myself, are you the only authority in my life? I ask myself, are you sitting on the throne? Are you first in my life? Lord, I ask myself, am I accountable and responsible for all that you bless me with? I ask myself, am I doing the will of God, not the will of Dale? Father, finally I ask myself, am I willing to pay whatever cost, whatever price it is to serve you and know you? Father, I pray that every key in my life is in your hands. If there's some area that's not, God, show it to me. And I pray that you would do this for everyone here and everyone at 111 who's listening. 
Show us, God, if there's any area at all that's not surrendered to you. And I pray, oh God, that we give it to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen.